You're listening to a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. Hey, we're going to be in uh, the book of Acts today, and I wanted to, as I invite you back towards a seat, I wanted to kind of give you a little bit of a heads up. What we're doing right, what we're doing today is a look back on the first five or so chapters of the book of Acts, and this is kind of a, it, it, we, we see a turning point shift in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 6. Cassidy, in her message last week, talked about the, the conflict that had developed between, uh, with the Greek-speaking widows being neglected or being left out of the distribution of food and some of the things that happened, and then the appointment of the crew of seven Hellenistic Jews to, Hellenistic Jewish Christians to be in charge of the distribution, and etc. And from that point forward, we see some significant patterns of, of persecution and a scattering and all sorts of, you know, basically... Uh, you could say on one hand, all hell breaks loose, and on the other hand, all heaven breaks loose. So before we head into that, I wanted to look back at the first five chapters of Acts and talk about what stood out to me, what something that was very significant in looking at this. Uh, and I think the word, if I had to uh, kind of sum up the first five chapters of the book of Acts, it is the word together. And the word together is something that shows up in multiple verses and multiple places, and each time it shows up, it shows up in a way that is like as a preparation for something good that God is going to do. It has to do with not just being in the same location. Like we are all in this room, but we could be completely distracted. We could be looking at our, we're not watching the 49er games, because they don't play till five, we're, but we could be looking and, and being distracted by what's here. We could be caught up in the fact that there's not one, not two, not three, there's several good-looking babies here. And, you, you know, if you're a baby person like me, it's really hard not to be distracted. You see a baby, it's like, baby here, baby here, baby here. Grandbaby, it's like you had to take that up a notch. It's like, ugh. We could be in the same space but not being together. And the word here, together, has to do with being united, being in unity, being of one heart, being of one mind, being of one purpose, being of one soul. And it is, it's not being the same, but it's people who are choosing a to, to, to band together for a specific purpose. And as we look through this, I want you to see that what this is is an invitation from Jesus for us to continue to live and function together in community as we live and breathe and, and function in the greater Reno Sparks and Carson City areas as we live for him. And it's really something that you're looking at the first five, five chapters of Acts. It's something that is in response to Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. If you read through, you know, you know, basically the last, probably from John 13 through 19 or 20, it's, it's about a week long, that, that section of scripture. And in this particular passage, Jesus with his disciples are in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is praying distinctly for his disciples. And he prays that he would be glorified in them. He prays that the Father would keep them in his name. That they would keep him connected to him to according to the purpose that he called them. That they would be one in the same way that Jesus and the Father are one. And this one oneness is they would be in unity with a shared and common purpose. And as he continued praying, he says, I, I pray you don't take them out of the world. I pray that you don't try and isolate them. I pray instead that you would protect them and keep them from the evil one. Sanctify them and make them holy by your truth, by your word. 
And I'm not just praying for these guys. This is where you can know 100% Jesus was praying for us when he said, I pray for anyone who ever hears the word and responds. He says, I pray for those people, that they would be one as well, that they would be one. And he says this, it almost sounds like Master Yoda talking. He says that they would all be one, you in me, I in you, they in us. And it's this thing of that as Jesus says, you and I are, are one that we would be one and that they would be one together in us, that we would know the mind and purposes of God and that we would live submitted to that. And this is something where from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every creed, every color, every single person, that we would band together and choose the the cause of Christ above all else. Uh, One of the first places that we, we start to see these things happening and being worked out is in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And we talked about this at some length. The scripture that says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And really, this was in response to how they went from a group of about 100 people to over 3,000 in one day. And they're trying to figure out how do we build an ethos, build a culture, build the same type of understanding and purpose and unity that we've had in a group of three and of 12 and of 100. It's much easier to do than if you have people from every tribe and tongue and nation gathering together now saying, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. How are we going to do that? They said, well, we have to have things that we are devoted to. And these are the common goals. These are the points of unity that they're rallying around. They're saying, we need to have the apostles teaching. We need to have something that teaches us what does it mean to be a follower of Christ. Being a follower of Christ is not a self-determined process. We don't get to choose how we become followers of Christ. It's laid out for us in thousands of years worth of teachings of the church and saying, this is what it means. When we see in the scripture where it talks about teaching, it's actually the word deals with doctrine. And doctrine can sound like a word that you're like, well, that's beyond me. No, everybody has doctrine. Doctrine is basically a statement of belief. This is why we believe what we do. These are the, the guideposts for what shapes us and for what helps us to understand things. And so when we hear preaching, the word preaching, it has to do with sharing the message of the gospel that we can all come to a knowledge of salvation through Jesus Christ and be saved from our sins. That's the preaching. It's the evangelism. But the teaching is where we learn what does it mean? What what does a follower of Jesus Christ believe? Because in America, we have an approach often to everything that is a la carte. We want Burger King. Not really. We want In-N-Out Burger. But we want have it. In the 70s, the whole slogan was have it your way at Burger King. Hold the pickles. Hold the lettuce. We don't want, we just want the, want the meat. It's, that's what we, we are taught. You can get it however you want. I like a la carte when you're taking a four-year-old out to dinner because they can order, I want the grilled cheese. What else? I don't want anything else. I don't want anything green on the plate. I, w- just, I don't even want you to look at anything green when you bring it over here. Just bring that. A la carte. But when, with our Christianity, there's an aspect of the teachings of Christ that we get delivered to us, and, and no matter what our culture of origin, we get to say, I will choose to be a person who hears this and then puts it into practice in the best way I know how in the position that I'm in right now, the apostles' teaching. Then, fellowship, the gathering together in the name of Christ, in the name of something greater. We use the picture of the Lord of the Rings and the fellowship of the ring with the, the vastly different people, the dwarfs, the elves, the whatever Gandalf is, he's an Ishtari, the hobbits, the humans. These are all gathered with the pursuit of destroying something evil. And here, when we gather together, we do not demand sameness. 
we come from all over the place. You've got John Frank over here from, from New York. And we've got me here from Reno, Nevada. You've got uh, here in Geneva today, born in Pahrump, Nevada. Shout out for Pahrump. <laughs> Booyah. It's awesome. And we've got a whole variety of, of, we've got people from different countries, different places. We've got people from Ukraine. We've got people from Russia. We've got people from United States of America. We've got people from Mexico. We've got people from Canada. All sorts of places. And it, as we see this, it's like we're not nationalists first. We're not flag wavers saying, well, this is my primary allegiance. Ultimately, when we come into fellowship, we're acknowledging Jesus is the most high. And we come underneath his banner. And we come together in unity. Anytime you get people together from different backgrounds, different places, you will find that they will be at odds with each other. There are people in this room that are Dodger fans and people in this room that are Giants fans. So, yes, you could find points of division there. You could say there are 49er fans, there are Cowboy fans, there are Raider fans, and there's the rest of us. Okay? <laughs> And it's funny, but it's also, we, we can have serious points of division based upon what your allegiance is to. It, it becomes very, very serious when we start thinking about a person who says, if you're Jewish, you become marked for death. I have been in Germany at a time when a Palestinian group is gathered shouting, death to Jews, death to Israel, death to Jews, death to Israel. And they're not speaking metaphorically or rhetoric, in rhetoric. It's they want it now. It's like, that's different. When you see people laying aside historic divisions and historic challenges and historic points where one would hate another and they're coming together under Jesus, that's what fellowship can be. And that's what the early church is getting to experience. The breaking of bread, it's the sharing of the Lord's table, it's the eating together, it's the meal that says you and me were the same. And then prayer. When we pray, we acknowledge that God is the one who gives every good and perfect gift. He's the one who answers our prayers. We acknowledge our need for him. For us, years ago, when we were beginning to really want to be strategic about how can we uh, to build significant, strong, united, connected, and healthy relationships, there was a guy in the church whose name was Michael O'Friel. He was British. Anybody remember Michael from back in the day? British psychologist. He was a, a psychologist in a, uh, in a, in a pr prison, I believe. It was just it was awesome. But he said, if you want to build significant relationships, they require three components, shared time, shared space, and shared experience. And so it's one of the things we've tried to incorporate over and over again is if we, we want people to be in relationship, it's not going to happen if we're not together. And if we're not communicating together. And you could be in a situation that's really, really rough and still build a good relationship with somebody. Okay, let me just give you an example. Years ago, you, some of you have heard the story of Louis traveling in Romania for a mission trip. My friends, I was on a trip with 125 junior high and senior hires in a former communist bloc nation, okay? And this was in 1997, 10 years after the wall had come down in Berlin and uh, communism had fallen in Romania, and when communism fell, many of the areas of infrastructure that supported certain cities completely fell apart. So I ended up in a hotel in a little town called Felix, Romania. It's near the, the Hungarian border. And I'm staying what used to be one of uh, Nikolai Ceausescu's showplace hotels, and now it hasn't seen re anything repaired in years. 
I'm on the 11th floor, and there's not water that goes beyond the 6th, okay? The first floor is a jungle. It's just swampy. The 11th floor is roach-infested. So I'm staying with my friend David Chumley, and we're rooming together. We walk into the room, and we're looking, and literally, there's roaches standing there smoking cigarettes going, what's up? <laughs> and so we come in with our shoes, and we're whacking roaches, and we're just going, and we're there for two weeks, and we're waking up in the night, and it's like they're here. And eventually, we stopped killing them. We started naming them. <laughs> Bruce, what's up, dude? It was heinous. It was difficult. Uh, there was a supply issue with the food. And so often we'd go down in this cafeteria and we'd be, we had rationed food. We had old apples that were mostly turned. Cheese that had mold on it. And it wasn't blue cheese, but it was. And thank the Lord, a McDonald's opened up in that city and we went every single day. But not everybody had access to it. If that wasn't enough, the Albanian mob was running a ring of prostitution and drugs in our hotel. And someone, somewhere, crossed the mob. And so on the 11th floor, why they were staying there, I don't know, but they're on my floor, we hear this flashbang. <laughs> the Romanian police, in conjunction with the Albanian mob, do a hit on these guys on the floor where we, me and Chumley are hanging out. I've got my, my handheld recorder. Me and Bruce the Roach are underneath my covers. And I'm, dear God, please protect me, Joni. I'm so sorry I came here. I left you home alone with a three-month-old baby. You know, please tell her I love her. I always wanted to raise a girl. If I'm not there to walk her down the aisle, please, you know, find somebody good that will do it. You know, just that kind of stuff. We're dying. We're thinking we're going to die. And we survived, and it was wonderful. And we look back on that time, and it was one of the worst experiences of my life. But me and Chumley, we were good friends before that. We came out of that best friends. Why? All you got to say is, Hotel Dasha. <laughs> and it's like, oh, no. When you share time, share space, and experience, it builds deep relationship. It's one of the reasons that life groups here are so significant. Because we believe that if we're in the same space and we're sharing the same experience and we're in each other's homes, there's something that happens to help connect us and help us grow together. I am so indebted to the people like Tim and Sue and like Matt and Geneva and like many, many others who lead life groups and have for years because what they're doing is there's Sean and Patty and, and there's so many others that are, have opened up their homes to be able to say, we want to be able to create a space where you can connect with each other. And those are the people who, over time, when you're going through life's good times, you're, you're reaching out and celebrating with. And when you're going through hard stuff, you're reaching out and asking for prayer. That's what we got to see happen with the early church. That's what we want to see continue to happen with us. People living together. I, I touched on the word together as something that shows up over and over in, in the book of Acts. And it means these things. One accord, being of one mind, of one passion, of one heart and one soul. And I kind of put together a list of here's what it means lived out. Here's what it looks like when people are, are living together in this way. It manifests itself, this togetherness manifests in a devotion to Christ that results in a willingness to be being transformed and to humbly submit oneself to the will of God in Christ Jesus for the cause of Christ. It manifests itself in a willingness to embrace God's definition of the kingdom of God, embracing brothers and sisters of every tribe, tongue, and nation for the cause of Christ. It, it, it manifests itself in a willingness to not insist on one's own ways, one's own preferences, or one's own needs above others for the cause of Christ. 
it manifests itself in a willingness to compromise with others, to work together with others for the cause of Christ. In a willingness to give and to live sacrificially with time, energy, and resources for the cause of Christ. It manifests itself in a willingness to, through love, look beyond historic, deeply held separators of culture, prejudice, racism, bad blood, sexism, etc., for the cause of Christ. It's a willingness to relentlessly forgive and to extend grace, to think the best of others and to look for the best in others for the cause of Christ. I mentioned that in the first five chapters, we see little examples of this that precede God doing something miraculous. When people are together, what happens? In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And now all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, his brothers. This is in response to Jesus saying, Go and wait for the promise of the Father. So they gathered together. And it's interesting because at a time when women did not have a significant role or space within the culture, Jesus throughout his ministry had continued to elevate those women as disciples, even naming them. And in the early church, as, he's, as they're gathering, waiting for the promise of the Father, they are seeing that it's not just the guys together, but it's the women are together and Mary's there, the mother of Jesus, and etc. And it, it precedes the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Something significant. Being together, it's not that they're hanging out waiting for coffee to be done. They're there together praying and waiting, knowing that God says the promise of the Father is coming. We don't know how long they waited. Most likely, it was a couple of weeks from the time Jesus said go until it happened. But they're gathering, and they're there together in one accord. Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved together. Acts 4.24, after the disciples have been threatened, after the disciples have been told no longer speak in the name of Jesus. Why? Because they had healed a man who was lame and had been lame for years and is now walking and leaping and praising God. And they pointed to Jesus, the one who was resurrected from the dead, as the one who had done this. And they're threatened with their lives and to be beaten and to be persecuted. And they said, they lifted their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, pray you fill us with boldness that we will continue to declare your name. We will not shrink back from that. Acts 4.32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. It was at a time when people began to embrace the idea that we have resources, and if we come across brothers and sisters that don't, we want to share. We want to help bless them. Last week, I was rehearsing some of the things over the last 23 years that I can remember that have happened through Hillside. A lot of the time, it flies under the radar, but there's been situations where we find out a single mom has a car with a broken transmission, and three guys band together to get her transmission replaced free of charge with the warranty and taken care of by the time basically we're done with, you know, found out on Sunday, it's done Monday hearing situations where someone has an issue with electrical stuff at their house and someone who knows how to do that sort of stuff, not Louie, goes to their home and helps to fix that. Or finding out like what Joni and I experienced in 2010 when we went six months without a paycheck where we had multiple times people drive by and doorbell ditch us, leaving copious amounts of food and even Christmas stuff for us. 
That's people not looking for attention and looking to say how great I art. It's people saying, we have resources, and nobody held on to those resources so much to say, well, I hope, I'm glad I got mine. They shared. That's what the church does. That's together. When you hurt, I hurt. When I hurt, you hurt. When we hurt, it affects everybody. Acts 5.12, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's porch, Solomon's portico, Solomon's colonnade. I think I showed the picture of this where in the temple courts there was a space. You know, I talked about in, in my day at high, in high school, you had different places where people hung out. And it was a lot more in the 80s, it was a lot more like almost like the breakfast club where everybody was kind of stratified. You had your jocks and you had your stoners. You had your kind of people that weren't stoners, but they were called heshers, which were kind of stoners, but not quite. You get what I'm saying? And it was very, this was the spot where they had the Christians. And they hung out. And so people were afraid to join them, but they were all together because they're there declaring the name of Jesus. And they're having experiences on a regular basis where they're getting to care for each other and they're praying for people and they're seeing miraculous things take place. They're seeing people being added to their number daily. Every day, the mission of God taking place. Every day in the temple, house to house, life to life, staying on mission. This, we could stop teaching the book of Acts and just say, this is what the call of the church is going forward. In every nation, in every tribe, in every tongue, this is what we're called to be and do. To be declaring the goodness of God through our actions, through our words to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to be devoted to fellowship, to be devoted to sharing common meals, to be devoted to the prayers, to be devoted to gathering together of one accord, one mind, one passion, one heart, and one soul. To know as much as depends on you to live in unity. When we live that way, it is a powerful declaration of the kingdom of God and the gospel good news. Jesus said, you will, people will know you are Christians according to your love. It will not be according to your awesome theology. It will not be according to how cool your building is. It will not be according to anything other than how you will love one another. Our Christianity is founded in how we love God and then how we love each other. How we hold to the teachings of Christ. I read through the Beatitudes, the, the lessons that he gave on that hillside. And he's talking about loving our enemies and praying for those who spitefully use us. And how it, it flies directly against the, the common philosophies. That's what he calls us to. That's what he asks us to be. And he has to do that together. There's an, another image that is, is significant. I don't know if you've heard the story in Mark chapter 1, verse 16. It shows up again in another spot, but Jesus goes to the fishermen. He had several fishermen that were, became his disciples, brothers, Peter and Andrew. At the time, he was known as Simon, and then James and John, and they're fishing, and there comes a point where, you know, they're kind of out in a boat, and Jesus is standing there. I don't know if you've ever had someone come up after you've not caught anything and say, how's, how's it going? It's fine. It's fine. Rough one today. Didn't catch anything. Well, this is, when you start thinking about fishing, this kind of fishing is not the kind that we normally do with the pole, okay? When you start thinking about fishing, fishing is often done as a solo pursuit. It's done in solitude. It's done kind of quiet. You're just kind of out there. This is a situation where fishing is done in groups, and they use a net, okay? 
And so the net is something that it requires multiple people to participate in it. So this particular miracle that takes place, it says, after a long night of fishing with no luck, they put out, you know, Jesus says, hey, guys, I know you haven't caught anything all night, but put out into the deep and then throw your net over the side. That's like we've been throwing it over all night. But okay, we'll humor him. And as they throw the net into the water, it says their, their nets were full, so full of fish that they began to break, and they had to call their friends to come and help them. Not just the ones who worked with their same fishing company, but anybody who was near to come and, and gather it. Now, this is an important picture because you're looking at this and thinking, what does this have to do with together? This has everything to do with together. Because Jesus promised these disciples at, at one point, you know, you've been fishermen up until this point, now I'm going to make you fishers of men. The picture I had always had in my head was, okay, I'm going to go be a fisher of men. There's me fishing poorly with my pole. Just me out on the river. And in, in reality, the fishing he's talking about requires a togetherness and a partnership, even to the point of going and helping people that aren't on my team, people that aren't in my company, to gather the, cast, to gather the catch. Jesus is calling us to togetherness that is not based on sameness. It's not based on uniformity. It's based on him. It's based on learning to prefer and to defer. It means there's going to be times where we get our, our toes stepped on. We're going to have to, we, we will at times have things happen that are not our preference. But for the cause of Christ, something good will happen when we choose together. I can't tell you, and this is how it's all going to play out, because the majority of the time, especially here at Hillside, we believe that God gives every single one of us a brain to use and a heart to to, to be able to hear from God, I'm talking about the heart that's the, the very core of who we are, to be able to hear him and to respond so that we can be and do what he would be and do if he was walking in our shoes. And that when we're doing that, we invite people along with us that we're not ever flying solo, but we're doing this together. Does that make sense? These stories and these scriptures from Acts and the reminder from the Gospels emphasize together the whole church at the beginning, this is together. What we're seeing going forward in the book of Acts, starting in chapter 6, going forward into chapter 8, is going to be a scattering. The church, not because they wanted to, but because they were being threatened and killed, scattered from Jerusalem, and they went to the four corners of the earth. And you know what they did as they went? They gathered with as many of their friends as they could, flying undercover, sharing the message of the gospel as they're running, as they're running for their lives. They did not intend to go. You know, Jesus said you're going to go to Jerusalem and Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The first several years of the church, they stayed in Jerusalem. Why? Because they were together and it was fun and it was good and there's no reason to leave. And it was only when the great persecution happened and the rock goes into the pond and the, the ripples start to go out that they, they bail for running for their lives. But even as they went, they went with the Spirit of God. And they went in unity and they went together. What do we do with this? My hope is that as we go through the book of Acts, there's stuff that stands out to you. There's areas where you see it's not just a, a, re a retelling of history, but it's something that stirs something in your heart about the role that the church plays and that you are that church. That you have the opportunity to share time, share space, share experience with people. Many times we don't open our homes or the place where we live or we don't connect with others because there's a reason why. Let me tell you, no matter what the reason is, sometimes just extending that hospitality is something you will see God meet you right where you are, and it will be enough. It will be adequate.
when you hear about the word unity in the context of church, what comes to mind? We want the church in Reno and Sparks and Carson City to be unified. What does that mean? How about this? What's your role in the unity? I think one of the things we can do is not look at the other churches in Reno as the enemy. Oh, we lost somebody to another church. They've gone over to the other side of the house. I mean, think about it. If someone leaves Hillside to go to another church, I mean, Cassidy's moving away to San Antonio. We can stomach that. What if she was moving to Sparks? And a church there. You understand what I'm saying? I was like, well, they don't believe the way we do. Um, yeah. Well, you know, the things, in all things, unity, you know, in the things that are, are debatable, we want to have grace. Well, that's where people start getting into trouble. Well, what are our debatable things? You know, most of the time, when persecution starts to happen, and people who are being persecuted, who are Christian, are being called out and pursued, etc., nobody says, are you foursquare? Before I can associate with you, are you Baptist? Do you speak in tongues? Oh, you're Catholic. Oh. <laughs> we start to look at the separators. And yeah, I think theology is important. But what's more important is that Jesus says, love one another. And I think the more gnarly the world gets, the less our distinctives become things that we hold to as separators. And we start looking for the bottom line of, do they call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? We have our distinctives, we're going to hold on to them, but we're also, one of the distinctives of the Foursquare is to be interdenominational and to focus on the bottom line. Our founder in the early 20s said, as the Foursquare Church, we are people who stand in the middle. This does not mean we are milk toast, that we have, don't stand for anything. It means that we can hold hands with people who are highly conservative, and we can hold hands with people who are highly liberal in the political world. We hold hands on one side with the people who swing from the chandeliers, and we hold hands on the other side with the pr frozen, pros frozen chosen Presbyterians, of which my Uncle Bruce was a proud member until they kicked him out because he got filled with the Holy Spirit. You understand what I'm saying, this connection where it's not compromised to say, yeah, maybe it, it doesn't happen the way I would choose it, but to say there's people who call upon Jesus, that's our main thing. All this that I'm talking about right now is not on my notes. This is a, this is a freebie. I'm believing this is something that we need to hear, that we be bottom line Christians. And we've got our family, but we've also got our extended crazy cousins too. And for some, we are the crazy cousins. Just don't be weird, Uncle Larry, okay? Um, what are we doing with this? What gets in the way for you, personally, of living together in one accord, one heart and one soul with other believers? What, what's the thing that's like, eh, I would except for, for me, the greatest persecution and pain I've ever experienced has come at the hands of the church and people in the church and people who call themselves Christians. The worst meal I've ever had was Chinese food at Szechuan Express, number three. I don't go there anymore, but I still eat Chinese food, okay? Don't reject our Christian brothers and sisters because of the actions of some ones who didn't live according to the, how they should have been. Have you ever been to a sixth grade concert and they're playing classical music and it's terrible and Johann Sebastian Bach is going, that is not what I wrote. I often think that our best efforts come out 
to live Christianity come out like a really bad sixth grade classical music concert. Doesn't quite look like it's supposed to look. Doesn't sound like it's supposed to look. There's a note here and there, but they sure talk it good. We play Bach. It's like, uh, kind of. When we see Christians not living the tenets of Christianity, it's like that. Don't reject Christ and the gathering together because of those. You just get me what I'm saying? Being you with me back there? Yes? Okay, all right. Now, what are some practical ways you can continue or begin to share time and space and experience with your fellow hillsiders or with other believers? Do that. I hear repeatedly people say, I'm having trouble making friends. I'm having trouble connecting. I would say, do what you can to the best of your ability to share time, space, and experience with somebody. Maybe it's we're going to get coffee at the marina. We're going to go to the lighthouse. We're going to you know, go to Bully and get wings. We're going to do something on a regular basis. Something will grow out of that. You want to be friends? The Bible says be friendly. Put your feelers out. You can't expect connection if you go through with clogged Velcro. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you for your word that is true, and I ask that you would build into us continually a community, Lord, a togetherness, that we would be people of one heart, of one soul, in one accord, with one mind, with one passion, who pursue you and who live for you above all else. We declare that you're, you're good, and we ask you to work inside of us, Lord, to make us like you. We trust you, Jesus. Work in us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you are a person here today who's never started a relationship with Jesus, we'd love to, to, to help you get started. And how we, one of the ways we do that is we have in our Connect and Grow counter back here some yes packets. And basically what that is is for someone who wants to say, yes, I want to follow after Jesus, it's got some great info in there to help you get started and to begin your walk with God. Uh, for others... You know, if you have some things that are going on in your life, you'd have, like to have people pray with you. Right back here where Lisa is holding this awesome baby, there's going to be people available to pray with you when we're done. But as we go, this is the, the blessing that we have been praying over. I've been praying over you for the last couple of years now. And I have just, I changed it a little bit. Uh, I think you'll be okay with it. It's this. It says, may Jesus bless and keep you. May Jesus make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May Jesus turn his face toward you and give you peace. I bless you today. Have a great rest of your, rest of your day. Those who are sticking around for, for growth tracks, we're going to be meeting right here in the middle in just about 15 minutes. God bless you. Have a great one. This has been a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. You can reach us via email at web at hillside4.org. That's W-E-B at hillside, the number 4, dot org.